0: From Tony Stark's laboratory, it's the IGN digi Please welcome two men still waiting for a reply to their Avengers applications, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Actually, I had a different Avengers application. I wanted to be Steve because I want to meet Emma Peel. Corey, who sent that in? That little tongue twister was brought to you courtesy of Stuart Moncure. Uh, thank you, Stuart. So we're back. It's 2015. Happy uh, New Year. Happy New Year. Absolutely. And uh, it's been a nice long layoff. Lots of things have happened. Mark, doesn't it feel like the world has completely transformed since we did our last show? It really is true. Seriously.
1: I, I think the reason why is because we didn't do See, when we, we don't, when we don't do a show, the world transforms. It falls apart. If we could just do a show, I know the world would be a better place
0: it was weird Uh, you know I was getting all ready to come back and talk about the interview and uh, the interview feels like like, that's old, It was man. like three years ago. It was like, the interview, are you serious? Is, that's going to come out on Blu-ray and DVD in, in a couple of months. Like, who cares anymore, man? It's over. It's done with. Nothing blew up. Kim Jong-un doesn't care anymore. He's moved on. He's torturing people. He's, you know. He's happy. He's happy. He's, you know. <laughs> he's
1: happy torturing people and <laughs> making, like, sushi know. out of live fish. <laughs> that's, that, that's his father. His father I used know. to do that. I know. He used to take the fish live but and slice it up. What? Wasn't
0: that an amazing moment in time? That, that that whole interview fiasco. It was like everyone completely lost their. You know they did. It's just like it, like theaters flipped out, and next thing you know, you had to have you know the the Tim Leagues of the world and the Alamo Draft House hold up their hands and go, "I'm sorry." But is there an adult in the room anywhere? I mean, is this really happening? And George Clooney wanted to get people to sign on, and now Chris Dodd is offering me a culpa. Oh, I wasn't as forceful as I should have been with the MPAA statement. It's like, what's wrong with people?
1: That's all Monday morning quarterbacking. I know it
0: is, but it's crazy. Well, and then the Charlie Hebdo thing, and that ain't funny. You know, like we had a threat with the interview, but nothing followed through. It was hacking, and it was otherwise a whole lot of hot air. But you know, as far as like. Free speech assaults go that's the one that now sort of puts everybody you know the interview was a thing it was a it was a pop culture moment and it was it, it turned out to be a whole lot of hot air and we'll, we obviously still haven't gotten to the bottom of it but you know Paris man that's a that's a big deal well,
1: what's funny is that the co-creator of Charlie Hebdo is the uh, came out and said that that they that the magazine did go too far
0: y- you know what here, here's the thing. Here's where I come down on this because I'm a free speech absolutist. I, I, I don't think there is such a thing as too far. If there's some, such a thing as too far, then just don't pay attention to it. You know what I mean? But there's no there's no too far in the world as far as speech is concerned that justifies somebody picking up a Kalashnikov and 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 gunning down ten people or twelve people or fourteen people. But you're, 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 it just doesn't. It, there's nothing that justifies that. But
1: you're saying that to people who have no concept or interest. In free speech and constitutional rights and whatnot.
0: Well, that's the problem.
1: Well, and they the, the thing is that they're, they're they're never going to. It's just yeah, not yeah, who yeah, they yeah, are. Yeah, yeah.
0: But, the, the but you nuts. know
1: what? Look, if 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 you're the editor of your, of your high school newspaper and you decide to take out a full page ad saying that uh, that you know the the school bully is a is a big fat jerk and f him and he beats you up, what do you expect? He's gonna I, beat you up.
0: I, well, then, then I expect him to be. To,
1: oh, it's my free speech right! I called you a I, big fat I, jerk. I, I oh, expect, he's gonna beat you! He beat the crap out of you.
0: I expect him to be arraigned on assault charges. <laughs> is what I expect. Uh, no, I mean this is why we have things like international film festivals. You know what I mean? It is. This is yeah. This is why you have things like Cannes and 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 Venice and Toronto and Berlin and you know Tokyo and Shanghai. Major international film festivals because that's where the world gathers and looks at movies. And uh, argues about them in a, in, a, in a peaceful and civil way. And you and I both know, Cannes Film Festival is not a place where everybody, you know, holds hands and sings ya and, you know, hugs and shakes. I mean, it's a place where Lars von Trier pops off and Spike Lee will completely lose his head. And it's a volatile place. And people will hate films and they will love films and they will say nasty things about them. But there's never a bomb threat at the Cannes Film Festival. Nobody ever says, don't show this film or else. You know, I've been there when, for example, they screened Chinese films and Iranian films and the filmmakers were not allowed to attend because the governments felt, you know, we don't want to endorse this. I mean, there were, were even, uh, you know, negatives were or prints were smuggled out of the country and smuggled into the uh, into the festival. I mean, you have geopolitical events, but people understand that this is a nexus. This is where the exchange of, of ideas and thoughts happens in in, in a civil, even if volatile way but
1: and that's a rarefied that's a rarefied uh air there we go to can and you sure, go to
0: but let's, let's how, how
1: about that uh, that guy who did the innocence of muslims look at that guy i mean well, you know is that free speech uh
0: you know <laughs> that have you seen the film I
1: mean, the, look the film's a piece of crap <laughs> okay. obviously oh, look, <laughs> the, the film was not meant to be, an, be a creative artistic statement yeah it, you know they they hired actors who read dialogue that was completely yeah. innocent and then replaced with dialogue right. that was completely offensive to let muslims me, is it, that free speech yep
0: <laughs> sure is. Uh, look, here, uh, I remember going opening day to The Passion of the Christ, not, not The Passion of the Christ, the, uh, the Last Temptation of Christ, the Scorsese film. And, you know, there had been a big vigil the night before. Paul Crouch, the Trinity broadcasting guy who died recently, he led a big march of, you know, evangelical Christians around the block, and they were protesting it, and they were having a big old thing. And then I went there, you know, because I said, I'm not going to have an opinion about this film until I've seen it. So I went in and I saw it and there were some Catholic priests in there. And I was like, good for you, you know, good for you. Come see the thing, see what everybody's talking about, have an opinion based on, you know, an informed opinion, not a secondhand opinion. And afterwards, um, there were, you know, there's some radio people out there. This was at the old ABC Entertainment Center before they turned it into the the, uh, CAA Death Star. uh, The Plit Theater. uh, Well, it was. I think it was already the Cineplex at the time, and there were radio people, you know, with their little mics running around. They came up to me and asked me my opinion, and I, of course, was nobody at the time. I wasn't, you know, you're nobody now. I'm nobody now. But it's not like you know anybody would have would have known who I was or cared. And uh, they asked me what you think, and I said, I think it commits the worst sin of all, which is it's boring. Well,
1: they don't want to it hear is. that. Well, I know, but, but I. You thought, know what? I, I thought I, it was
0: clever, and in that moment, I thought I think I have a career in talking oh into God. microphones. I
1: I got to say, you know what? I was one of the first to see Fahrenheit 9/11. Yeah.
0: Because
1: it premiered at the 2002 sure. Kent Film Festival, sure. and I had the same thing: microphones coming at you, saying, yeah. "What'd you think? What'd you think?" And I and I here is what I said. Yeah. It committed the uh, the worst sin of all. It was boring. Thank you. See, <laughs> see? this is why we're here. Uh, exactly. Oh, okay. we're, we're and both. and and by the way, shut up. And by the way. And I, I, I'm, I'm going to use this as a transition to yes. our Oscar conversation. Yes. Is I remember about 10 years ago when they decided to screen Birth of a Nation.
0: Uh-huh. And
1: people were up in arms that they were screening Birth of a Nation because how racist it is. And, of course, it's incredibly racist. But, it's, it, but it, it also created the language of film that we continue to speak to this day. Yes. And it has enormous historical value.
0: True. So,
1: you know, that's something else. People were picketing outside the theater saying, how dare you show this movie?
0: You know, when I, uh, when, when I taught film history... That was the first film that I had them watch before the first day of class. Birth of a Nation. Just let's let's you know let's talk let's let's get your emotions out there right on the on the surface. So, but the I
1: problem see. with that film is that is that it commits the biggest sin of all. It was
0: boring. Thank you. So uh, <laughs> that's so, be the runner so, wait, for the whole. How was the Lafka evening? We uh, you were, oh okay.
1: yeah, Lafka. <laughs> so the Lafka dinner. Here's the thing. Now, I, went I have to, the, to say,
0: the, the, I had more fun. Just sitting at my computer and – just because I was at home. you know, I didn't, I didn't care to go. I had more fun sitting at my computer getting your texts than, any, than anything else. You know, I that have to say hysterical.
1: normally, e- even though we all vote our conscience as we should, yes, I always judge the evening based on who would potentially show up for an award. Right. And except for the fact that I kind of wanted to see Tom Hardy because I think he's super cool, awesome. It was going to be a boring evening. I went myself. Yeah. Didn't take anybody. No, no, uh, like a girlfriend or a no. date or somebody, whatever. So I went myself, and let me tell you something. It was the first, it was actually the first dinner I left early.
0: Yeah.
1: I left right before the, because it was so it was, boring. It was long, man. It was long. Well, here's the thing Tom Hardy was there. They announced him. He runs up from the side, accepts his award, and about, this was like a 30 second self effacing speech about all he did was read the prompter and everybody else deserves credit. He said that they left over. Then, a couple minutes later, I'm looking ahead of me, and I see this tall woman in a dark outfit dart across my view and sit down. I'm thinking to myself, is that Angelina Jolie? And I said, well, it can't be Jolie because we didn't give her anything. Yeah. And then a few minutes later, uh, I forgot who was doing it. They uh, presented uh, was presenting, uh, Jenna Rollins with our Lifetime Achievement Award. And it was actually – I think it was Stephen Farber. Because Stephen told some story about meeting Jenna Rollins on, a, on an international flight. And she was very nice. So Stephen gives the initial remarks and then says, and here to present the award to Jenna Rollins is Angelina Jolie. And I have to tell you, she, she uh, got up there. She gave a very nice speech, uh, which you can see online, by the way. If, if you Google that, Lafka, uh, um, Jenna Rollins, Angelina Jolie, you can see that speech. It's online. But it put a charge in the evening. Yeah. Just the idea that here's a surprise – visit from the biggest female celebrity in the world. It put a charge in the evening it desperately needed because if she didn't show up, people would have died of old age in that room. It was so boring.
0: Would Angelina Jolie be as big a movie star as she is if her name were Hildegard Schwartzpot?
1: If it was Hildegard Schwartz she would have changed it like okay. they used to do. Right. Okay, with Kirk Douglas' re- – <laughs> come
0: on. <laughs> I, Kirk Douglas's real
1: name has so many syllables. I can't even – it's impossible. It's true. So it's anyway, true. so uh, uh, that was very nice. Let me, here's, here's the thing with, with Jolie. Okay. Yeah. So uh, she's leaving the room, right, because she was there to give the speech and left. Yeah. She walked right by me, like mm-hmm. right by me.
0: Yeah.
1: And I have to say I don't find her that attractive. I think – on screen – I do not find her attractive. I think she is uh, scary and, uh, and humorless and looks like she would bite your head off,
0: okay? I don't find
1: her at all attractive. But I have to say, when she walked by me, beautiful.
0: Yeah.
1: Very beautiful. Yeah. Very, very thin.
0: Yeah.
1: And very thin. And you can see that – I mean, God love her. She's, you know, whatever, 37, 39 and that's what happens. But there's a little bit of the crow's feet. Come on, yeah. get it. It's fine. You know, whatever. We all get older. But she was very beautiful.
0: Yeah. All so right. I was very impressed,
1: and that was it. And then the evening went on for about another six hours. <laughs> and then I left. I couldn't take it anymore.
0: Well, it was – but it was – your tweets were very – your uh, your texts were very funny. So I enjoyed it. Because I was bored. I know.
1: Although, I, uh, the, the, uh, to me, the highlight of the evening was that I ate a second dessert.
0: So – well, good for you. <laughs> I, I, I always enjoy those desserts, the little tardy things. because oh, here's I mean. what
1: they do at the dinner. They put the desserts out when you, when you initially sit at the table. Yeah. The dessert – which is obviously not ice cream because it will melt. It's some sort of a tart or something. Tarty thing, yeah. Uh, they put that out. Yeah. When you sit down, I guess it's one less thing to exactly. to serve or it looks pretty, whatever. So I ate mine and then uh, I ate somebody else's.
0: Good for you. Thank you. Which, get,
1: which, by the way, could get us into our Oscar conversation –
0: well, let, our Golden Globes and Oscar conversation. Golden Globes. Forget I, of course, the Golden Globes. I, I know. No, I, I, I didn't watch the Globes. Golden and, Globes
1: is like the it's like the industry joke we all buy into because it's good for business.
0: Well, it's it's funny because the Globes kind of now are suddenly irrelevant once the Oscars come come out. But here's here's what I find really really interesting is uh, you know the uh, the Oscar nominations came out and as soon as they read this is the first year they read all categories right. JJ comes out you know uh, and 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 read a bunch of categories and then it was uh, Chris Pine. And uh, the Academy. Sheryl Boone Isaac. the Academy president, who, who resurrected. Who, who said? Who said? Who said what? Dick Poop. That's right, that's right, dick poop. And, and that became the trend on Twitter for the day. That We're, we're a nation of 12-year-olds, really. Uh, anyway, and she giggled when she said it. I thought that was cute. But here's the thing, you know. The, the the thing that blew up was, oh my gosh, Ava DuVernay didn't get a nomination for Selma. Selma only got two nominations, best picture and song. What happened? Bunch of racists, bunch of sexists. And it was just like everybody was completely like going off. And... Uh, I, up, I was I was on television and radio that day. I, I you know I started getting calls off the hook. Uh, Ted Chen from Channel Four schleps out to my house with the with the camera crew and the van and the whole thing to sit me down for you know about a ten minute interview, which wound up being like six seconds when they finally ran it on the five o'clock news. And uh, and then I was I talked for about ten minutes on the Peter Tilden show on KABC radio that night. And here's the thing: tell me if you agree or not. It, the, to, to actually pretend that the Oscars are quote unquote racist or sexist because they didn't nominate Selma is to suggest that somehow 6,000 people all get into one room in like a, with like a Borg like brain and say, let's screw over this movie. It didn't happen. The, the different categories are all nominated by branches. Okay, so individually, that film failed to impress. Almost anybody except the body at large, which includes a lot of members at large, who don't get to vote for the individual categories. Clearly, Paramount's decision not to send out screeners to guilds, which deprived of any guild awards, to critics groups, which probably didn't help it with the critics groups very much, even though critics made a stronger effort to go out and see it. You know, you have fewer people in a critics group. Paramount didn't get any momentum coming out of the awards season beforehand. It got no BAFTA nominations. It got Spirit nominations. Um, but it didn't. Fe- it, it was not sort of at the top of everyone's screener pile. Once suddenly, Birdman and Boyhood and The Theory of Everything and Imitation Game. These are the you know these are the films that are suddenly winning things and they're getting on the top of people's piles and people prioritize those films. And psychologically, you put that in the front of your mind. I guarantee you. And I think I'm one of those that thinks Ava DuVernay should be in there. She. I, I think Selma's one of the best films of the year. I think it's a superb film. I think she should be in there. Frankly, I think Clint Eastwood should be in, in Best Director as well. But I think Paramount blew it by not sending out screeners. They, they failed to generate the momentum needed. If that film, that exact same film, had been handled by Fox Searchlight or the Weinstein Company, it would have six, seven, eight nominations. Oh, I agree. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. I agree, 100%. Yeah. yeah.
0: So it's, it's simply a matter of how you play the campaigning game. It's, it's, it's not a problem with the Academy. But at the same time, is there a problem with diversity in Hollywood? Of course there is. But, you know, just because Denzel Washington and Halle Berry, you know, win uh, Best Actor and Best Actress in the same year, does that suddenly fix the whole business? Of course not. But we get this in our minds that somehow the symbolism of the Academy Awards matters. And it doesn't really matter one way or the other. It it speaks more to a lot of other moving parts. And it's upsetting on a certain level. But at the same time, the Academy Awards are a crapshoot every year. They really are. Well, look,
1: everything you just said right yeah with the with the screeners and didn't win the guild awards and the individual members uh, vote for their individual uh, categories based on what all that is way too complicated let's just scream racism because that's easier <laughs> sure. and we've got some time to kill on Fox News and CNBC and uh, NBC yeah. and uh, CNN and MSNBC tonight that's really what it is See, it's, it's just the it's the, you know what, the outrage machine right now is just it, it just it just it, it activates on just the slightest provocation because that's the society we live in we all want to go on Twitter and Facebook and and say how outraged we are And, and get a bunch oh. of likes And it's just a bunch of crap
0: Look, Kim Kardashian took her pants off Yay Okay, all's forgiven <laughs> Exactly So Anyway You know what's funny are, though Although it's funny though I will say this
1: I Although I do think And I might be wrong Because this whole thing about the screeners sure, And it sure. got shut out of all the guilds And, yep. and that, that kind of stuff And I was very uh, upset that David Oliowo Did not get nominated Because I thought he was Guy was he freaking was great What's funny? But, but Who would
0: you remove from the five that got nominated? Bradley I mean, Cooper. See, but he's great too. He I mean, is look, good. He is Timothy good, Spall didn't. I'll get, take that. Timothy think- Spall didn't get in there. Ray Fiennes is in a movie that got nine nominations, but none for acting. I mean, he's not in there. I mean, if you look at who didn't, even with Ava, like the five directors who were nominated are all really ace directors. Paul Thomas Anderson is not there. Uh, Clint Eastwood is not there. J.C. Chandor is not there. Most Violent the Year didn't get any nominations. I know, I mean, that's it's, wild. When you look at the stuff that did not get nominated, it's not just Selma. It's, there's a lot of stuff that... I mean, the, the Paul Thomas Anderson film, Inherent Vice, I didn't like it, but a lot of people did. And it got one nomination for screenplay, which I think should have gone to Most Violent Year. I mean, it's weird. Force Majeure, in foreign language film, didn't get a nomination. It's a crazy competitive year. You know, it's like you. It's it's fine and well to say somebody should have been in that mix, but who would you remove? Somebody has to come in six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You know.
1: And if you're arguing that we need to, we need to nominate. African Americans or Mexican Americans or uh, or Chinese Americans because we must have diversity then that's just that's that's a train wreck you uh, can't it, have that
0: look uh, I I think we need to make better movies period that's that's my mantra for the season I'm going to be on the, the KPCC uh, Film Week Oscar show and, and I'm going to say the same thing it, it, we need better movies if if making more diverse movies or or having more roles for black actors means that we're going to have you know Big Mama's House five. That's not a price I'm willing to pay. Uh, I I think if you have better movies, the diversity and the richness follows in the wake of that. Making better movies means taking more risks. And taking more risks means thinking outside the box. And if you start doing that, then the the problem for – and I'll I'll kind of leave the point here. But the problem where black actors are concerned and Asian actors and Hispanic actors and all non-white actors as far as the Academy Awards – If you look at the Oscars historically, how many of them win for parts that are race neutral? You have Denzel Washington in Training Day. you got Whoopi Goldberg in Ghost. But otherwise, they win for parts that are specifically black or specifically Asian. Sidney Poitier. Sidney Poitier, but even you know, even then, that's that's a, that's a very much a race centered part. Yeah, it is. I mean, it, it's you know, the the problem is that we, even Denzel Washington, who transcends race now, he can play the equalizer. Even though he's not white in English, he can he can replace George Clooney in, in uh, you know in the Robert Zemeckis film in Flight. Um, you know, Angelina Jolie can replace Tom Cruise in Salt. I mean, we have people who have transcended that, but they have to work so much harder to get to that place. And it's, it's not about getting roles for more people of color, for women, and so forth. It's about getting the people who make the movies to feel okay about thinking about so many of these parts in a race-neutral way. Because most parts really are race-neutral. If you've got a part for a cop or a doctor or an attorney or a judge or whatever, for, in most cases, there's nothing that says that that has to be a white person. But that's the default position psychologically because that's what they think audiences respond to. You take them away from that risky behavior, they'll start taking chances and they'll start looking outside the box. And that's where I think people need to go. So well, that's also, my serious discussion for the day.
1: But for some of those movies, unfortunately, there's really only a handful of minority actors who are big enough to be able to carry a film and make the studio feel confident enough that they're going to get their money back. You know, once you get to, you know, Denzel Washington, and we're, you know, we're, we'll wait for Idris Elba to become James Bond, and he'll become huge. But otherwise, there's really not a lot of you know you, you'll give it to uh, the Tom Hanks and the Tom Cruise and, and, and again we're also forgetting the fact that right now it's not even a movie star era it's a comic book that's character true. era that's true and some of the comic and, and you know, look a lot of the comic book characters are kind of race specific they are. I mean they you, know, are. you know you true. can't make Superman uh, Chinese American
0: hey man wait a minute
1: <laughs> although I will say this about <laughs> come to think <laughs> of it although here's a theory for you Ava DuVernay
0: Right. Yes. Yes. Who, frankly, a lot of us have known for 25 years. I mean, she was a publicist Publicist. when I started off. So, do uh, you think? Okay, here's
1: here's a theory I'll I'll throw by you. Yeah. Now, this, of course, is separate from the idea that.
0: And then we'll move on with the show.
1: Paramount blew it by not sending out screeners Get that? Yes. Uh, Do you think that Ava? Okay. The reason why Selma is so good hmm. Right. is yeah. because it avoids everything that would make it an Oscar film.
0: True, right. True.
1: So do you feel if the movie was this big bloated hagiography with angels singing on a mountaintop, which is what Lee Daniels would have done? It surely would have and what everybody Daniels would have done. Would have done yeah. Do you think it would have been nominated for a bunch of
0: Oscars? Absolutely not.
1: So it was all a screener situation.
0: I, I think it's entirely, I think, you know, Selma was a movie that was, there are a lot of movies on people's lips uh, at awards time. And there's a timing thing going on here, too. We forgot to mention David Fincher, Gone Girl. You know, obviously it got, it got uh, you know, some recognition, but it didn't get a David Fincher nomination. It didn't nah, get. It
1: didn't the, deserve that. Come on. But, but well, here's it's the thing. A, it's, 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 it's an airport novel. Stop it.
0: Kind of. But, but the movie is very good. But the movie probably would have done better had it been released a month later right there's a there's a there's a very delicate timing thing that goes on with the academy awards and it's with the award season and you, you have to kind of catch people's attention at the right time you know it's really all about timing and you can be too early, and you can be too late, depending on the kind of film you are. The, the exception this year, obviously, is Budapest Hotel. Wes Anderson, you know, that film was like...
1: That was, that was early in the year. That was early
0: in the year, like Crash was, back in, in 2005. And it just sort of, it, just, it snowballed, and people loved it, and no one expected a movie that was that good at that point in the year. And because it's a comedy, people kept seeing it again, and then it came out on Blu-ray and DVD, and then now they're releasing it. I mean, that is, that is just aces, the way that Fox Searchlight has handled that. Absolutely beautiful. You know, that is a textbook example of how you handle an awards campaign, a release in an awards campaign, and you think outside the box. So anyway. Look at us. All right. Wait, now
1: how many minutes are we into the show?
0: We are 23 minutes into the show, so we got to start cooking. By the way,
1: can can I say the first thing about Blu-rays in in 2015? I want to say the first word about Blu-rays in 2015. Yes. In three months, it's coming. Escape from New York.
0: I know. Bam! Shout Factory. You know what else is coming? You know what else is coming? Wait ultra-high-definition Blu-ray.
1: Dud. No one's buying that. Also, (laughs) uh, Criterion just announced their April titles, Friends of Eddie Coyle.
0: I know. Isn't that sweet? Yeah. And And Odd Man Out, Carol Reed. We are also going to announce this on the Facebook page, but I'm going to go ahead and make an announcement right now. Um, uh, We've, uh, you know, uh, Yassine... Uh, is who created the uh, the Facebook page. Yassin is one of our long-time listeners. He's always just been really just such a great team player. Yay.
1: And Yassin
0: had a great idea and uh he's running with it, which is uh we're going to have an off, an Oscar pool. We're going to have an Oscar we're pool. We're going to have a Digigods Oscar pool and uh you're going to compete against us and of course we can't win, you know. You and Mark and I are, are are not eligible to win. But uh you know, you get to see if you can do better than we do, which is probably not going to be very hard. And whoever wins is going to win quite a bunch of goodies. I'm I'm not yet certain how many goodies, but I'm putting it together. I'm reaching out. I'm seeing what kind of a grab bag, you know, what kind of swag we can uh, we can hook you up with. But you know, in the meantime, go ahead and play. And Yasin has set all this up at funofficepools.com. So you go to funofficepools.com, and I'll post this to the Facebook page so everybody's uh, on board once this show is up. And uh, you have to sign up. You know, you got to do a username and yada yada. It's and free. All stuff. It's free. It's free. Just so sign up for it. And um, the group is The DigiGods.
1: Now, is there is there a space between The and DigiGods? There
0: is. There's a space between The and DigiGods. The uh, T and the D and the uh, G. Is it case-sensitive? Are, case are all capitalized. I, I doubt it. And then the password is Lars von Trier. One word. All Lars von case. Trier. Lars von Trier. So what you're saying is yes. that
1: the username is The space DigiGods. Yes. The DigiGods. Yes. Password. One word. Lars von Trier. That's right.
0: So go ahead and hook up with the Oscar pool. We're going to have a great time. Oscar
1: pool. Well, here's what happened. So Yassine emails us and he says, let's do this Oscar pool thing. So offline, I email Wade and I said, this sounds like a great idea. However, I'm not going to be tabulating hundreds of ballots. It's not going to happen. I don't know whether there's oscarpool.com or whatever. So Wade communicates with Yassine, and Yassine says there's this thing called what well, wait what's it called? Officepool.com?
0: FunOffice Pools.
1: Funofficepool.com. And this is all Yassine's doing. We got nothing to do with it. Yeah.
0: Fun office Pools, it's plural. So yeah.
1: funofficepools.com. Uh, so please uh, sign up. Now uh, we have to we have to leave this up to Yassine. I don't know how it works. So he has to set up now is there a ballot? Or do people just type in Best Picture? No, you it's,
0: it's a ballot. You go into the side where it says, you know, the, there's like a there's like a little ballot tab, and then it just brings up all of the categories, and oh. you, just, you can and you can change, you know, you can change your mind, but then there's a drop-dead date, and it's in like, I don't know, 26 days, 30 days, whatever wow. it is. Exciting. So, all right, Mark, let's start talking. Let's
1: start talking about the movie that will probably win Best Picture this year. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure either, actually. I really am because, not.
0: Because it's I not... I feel
1: like it's not Oscar-y enough.
0: Okay, here's the thing. It's the This is the film that's winning all the awards ahead of time, but so did L.A. Confidential in 97, and then Titanic swept everything, and L.A. Confidential got, like, nothing except... Because, T- Titan.
1: because Titanic is an Oscar it, film. That's
0: right. But let's remember, now, if you look at this numerically, and I've, I've looked at all the categories, and I know how all the Academy Voting works, it's <laughs> one of my... You know why? Huh? Nerd. Thank you. Because if you look at, you know, guild influence and, and who's in, how many people are in, what, what branches the academy, I kind of figured out all the numerical possibilities. And I've narrowed it down. There's really only two films that have, any, have a chance. And that's Boyhood, which we're going to talk about right now, and The Imitation Game. Those are the only two. The only two there contenders. There is no way Imitation Game is the Best Picture. Okay.
1: It has no moment. No one's talking about it.
0: It's Harvey time. Okay? <laughs> it's Harvey time. It's Harvey time. You know what that means. Okay, right. that means that means that, that Babe Ruth is coming out, and it's the bottom of the ninth, and he's pointing at the top of the bleachers, and IFC is on the mound pitching. Okay, uh, seriously, who do you trust? Do you trust the pitcher IFC, or do you tra- trust Bob, H- Babe Ruth, Harvey Weinstein brothers to take that bat and just frickin' nail that thing? Who do you trust? It's Harvey time.
1: There is. I, I don't know that. I just he's going to have to make a hell of a case for that movie.
0: I. I, have, I mean, it's my second favorite film of the year. No, it's a good I movie. Love, it's a great movie. But seriously, it's Harvey time. Boyhood is three hours long. Imitation Game is, but, is. is is about two hours and it's great and it's a total Oscar film and it's a feel good Oscar film. And it's, it's it's got a gay theme to it, so it's a little bit politically correct and you know seriously, IFC they're going to can IFC beat Harvey Weinstein? IFC has never won Best Picture. No. They have not. Have they been nominated for Best Picture? Never. I have, seen, I have seen Magnolia every year whenever we get our screeners. You know what it is. I have seen Magnolia basically send you like a batch of screeners with a rubber band around them. And they're a bunch of DVDRs. <laughs> and they're like, I don't know if there's anything good in here. You kind of thumb through it and see what you like. They don't promote their stuff. Boyhood is the first film they've actively promoted. When I got that screener of Boyhood and it was like printed with the nice packaging and the, for your consideration and the whole thing, I thought, wow, IFC, finally. What took you so long? But, you know, it's Harvey time. <laughs> I don't know, Carry man. Carry on. Talk yeah, about Boyhood. It's
1: Harvey time. But I just don't know that the Academy's going to go, man, Harvey, you, you are going to strong arm me into voting for a movie that is good. Talk about,
0: talk about Boyhood. You
1: know what the amazing part about Boyhood is? And you have to admit this, Wade. I know you're not a fan of it, although I, well, I'm, I, I'm, I I'm a bigger
0: fan of it than you are. But... I don't dislike it. I just don't think it's amazing. But...
1: Okay. I just want to say, don't you find it amazing that this movie was going on for 12 years and no one knew about it? Literally, like in well, 2002, 2004, 2006, 2007, 2009, 2000, nobody ever read about this little project he's been doing. 2011, they, 2012, so they, they 2013, nobody thought They kept secret really that well. They kept a secret really well. That is, remar- I find that remarkable. Yes. Uh, but people are responding to this film in, in, a, in a very strong way. I, they, they really feel like they are living this kid's life real time condensed. And so it's really touching a nerve. And, I, and I, again, is it an academy nerve? Probably for best director, just for the achievement of it.
0: If you give me 12 years to make a movie, I will make the greatest film of all time. If you give me 30 days to stage the uh, March on Selma, Alabama, I'm going to tell you no thanks. Okay? (laughs) It's not about how long it takes to make a movie, it's how much you can do in a short span of time. Well, that's that's the measure of the filmmaker.
1: Well, but, you know, people are. If you had hired. It's a better
0: movie if it were made. Conventionally, with different actors playing the kid at different ages. I don't think so because it's a better movie.
1: no, because the because seeing this kid grew up. Just, I'm not saying it, it, it took, me I, out, not, took me. I'm out not. I'm not saying movie. I responded to it this way, but a lot of people did. It gave the movie a soul because you felt like you are living this kid's life. Yeah, I didn't. You know, and look, I was like, get, oh,
0: this is next summer.
1: Yeah, but you got it. But that's fine. And you got to admit. They didn't use title cards you know there were little visual or oral signifiers that obviously he got he got older but yeah. there was little visual and oral signifiers to further it along that this is a couple of years later they didn't there wasn't like a black screen with white with white numbers yeah, saying true. saying 1997 you know so I, I just think this thing is touching a nerve on, on, in a very deep emotional way and it is a, uh, it
0: is in any case a lovely blu-ray and it's probably the best thing that IFC has ever released so <laughs> seriously I mean it's it, it's a it's a lovely package they clearly know that they're that this is a, you know it, their time is now for this film
1: Oh so. yeah uh, we also have the equalizer with Denzel Washington, and uh, I, I'm, I'm on record as saying that Denzel is my all-time favorite actor. I love Denzel Washington. I will see anything he does. I don't care what it is, because he's the man. This movie,
0: meh. Yeah, well, it, you know. Every I, time
1: he uh, killed somebody, I thought to myself in the theater, "You just got equalized," because oh, it's just because the movie's just so it's just so typical. You know, at least when it was uh, at least when when it was a British guy, like if Idris Elba played this part. Yes, that'd be cool too. It,
0: it sure would.
1: But you know what? It just—it was very cliched, and it was very typical. And I don't know why they had to resurrect this character in this old CBS show just to make this movie, because it's just Denzel Washington, who I love more than anything. But I just feel like he deserved better. I just—I just don't get it. Didn't get it. But it's a beautiful looking Blu-ray because it's a beautifully shot film, and uh, there's a couple of. Um, Special features on this thing, uh, which I thought was pretty good. Photo gallery, useless. But it looks nice, and I do like the um, – it's a bit of a fluff piece, but they do have this piece on uh, Denzel Washington's um, career, which, of course, is great. And uh, so there you go. Lovely. Actually, actually you know what? Uh, rent this for the sound.
0: Very good. Sound. All right. 7.1. Uh, so a few other things that uh, are, are new or relatively new since we uh, last did a show. Uh, the trip to Italy, which is the uh, sequel to the trip, uh, Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon come back in uh, yet another uh, another fun time with Michael Winterbottom, who just keeps on working and making unusual movies and different movies. And yeah, but
1: he, you know what? I loved him, and and you felt like he was on this like Oscar trajectory where he'd be like this his, super Oscar guy. His time
0: was the nineties,
1: but now it's like it's like Adam McGoyan. Yeah. He
0: had that trajectory where you're like, this guy's gonna make Oscar movies. Jane Campion
1: Did, make Oscar movies, and then they, it sort of like
0: died. They they, they were part Kevin of Smith. The, 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 well. We're gonna talk about him in a moment. But they were they were all part of that class of the nineties. They were. They were all I mean, I was you know, when I was first going to the Cannes Film Festival in ninety two, three and four, they all had movies there, Welcome to Sarajevo and the piano and uh, you know clerks that was all that was the moment when they were all doing stuff but anyway trip to Italy you know what it's a lot of fun it's basically more of the same um, might even be funnier than the trip but uh, I, these guys just have such great chemistry I, I would be fine if they just kept making trip movies constantly like you know the trip to New York the trip to Fiji they, let, they are let, very let be, funny let it be like Bing and, and, uh, and Bob you know the, the, the road movies just keep doing it just keep it like the, the road movies and the trip movies and then maybe you could even have uh, Bing Crosby and Bob Hope make a, make a cameo or something right? Uh, yeah.
1: Whatever you say, Wade.
0: Right, right? They're still around. Flo. Uh The guest is, uh, gosh, this is just a weird movie. You know, Dan Stevens uh, was, was on uh, Downton Abbey. And played a very sophisticated, you know, British uh, lawyer and uh, kind of upper middle class guy who uh, enters the aristocracy and the whole thing. I mean, he was very, very good and sophisticated and elegant and romantic. And he plays an American uh, southern-accented lunatic here. It's, you know, he's like a former army guy who's a a stalker. And uh, it's kind of a conventional thriller. This movie really belongs in the 80s. This is one of those movies, one of those, you know, like... uh, Uh, fatal attraction single white female kind of deals and it's called The Guest and I just don't really know why he did this unless he's trying to you know why does everyone want to be an action star everybody wants to show that they're tough
1: that's where the money is I
0: guess but anyway nothing spectacular here it's not terrible it's just not impressive on any great level so uh, that's The Guest Blu-ray and DVD combo set with Ultraviolet and then we've also got um, The Good Lie, which is the Reese Witherspoon that, a movie that no one's talking about. This was uh, – kind of came and went. Basically, this is a, a dramatization of the same story that you get in the, uh, in the documentary about the uh, the Lost Boys of uh, – what was it called? You know, the uh, – The uh, uh, Lost Boys, Cuba, Sutherland. Uh, no, no, no. The, the, the kids from Africa. That oh, to, yeah. Uh, uh,
1: Sudan. The laws, Lost the, Boys uh, of Sudan.
0: Thank yeah. you. Uh, anyway, basically, they made a dramatic film of that, and it 's very impressive during the early parts when these kids are fleeing the Sudan they 're fleeing the warfare, going through the jungle, and you know some of them don't survive. I mean it 's a, it's a really harrowing first half, and then flash forward, and they 're a lot older and they 're you know trying to uh, make a life in America. Reese Witherspoon is trying to get them situated in an apartment, and she 's trying to help them you know and then it just becomes generic fish out of water stuff, but otherwise, the good lie. Um, is uh, it's half of a really good movie, and Reese Witherspoon's really more of a supporting actor in it than anything else. It's not her story, but you know they're they're not going to market it based on the Sudanese guys. There's your racial thing again, right? It's uh, like they're they're marketing it with, with Reese Witherspoon, but it's you know it's half of a good movie. So I would say that's uh, there's that. And then lastly, on my little mini stack here from Film Movement, uh, I wish Film Movement would start doing some Blu-rays because this is the kind of film that really demands it. Um, but Film Movement is still a great company. And A Thousand Times Good Night is one of those movies that you know might have been an Oscar contender had it gotten a, a marketing campaign from a bigger distributor. But I'm thrilled that it got released at all, and so I, I salute Film Movement for doing this. Uh, this is a fantastic film that was pieced together as an international co-production in the most uh, kind of ramshackle way, and yet it still incredibly works. Uh, Juliette Binoche and uh, Nikolai Kostner-Waldau play a husband and wife who live in Ireland of all places it's like you know he's Scandinavian and she's French and they're living in Ireland that tells you where they got the money for this movie um, everywhere he's a marine biologist she's a uh, a combat photographer and it's all and they've got two daughters and it's all about how she keeps going into these combat zones into Afghanistan and into Iraq and wherever in Africa and she puts herself at risk and how it really introduces all kinds of friction into the family and she can't give it up and her performance is staggering It is really heartfelt. It's beautifully done all the way through. Uh, Eric Papé, who directed it, is a former photographer, and um, it's just wonderful. I just think this is a fantastic film. If you want a gem that completely went under the radar, look for A Thousand Times Good Night. It is just a wonderful movie from Film Movement.
1: Uh, Wait, there's a movie called uh, Pride, and uh, Pride takes its... uh Place alongside, uh, you know, inspirational Brit movies like uh, Billy Elliot and Calendar Girl and whatnot. Uh, but this is—I uh, might have liked this a little bit better, actually, than uh, some of those other movies. It takes place in uh, the mid '80s, and there's a strike in Great Britain. And this little Welsh village, they decide that they are going to travel to London. They're, you know, a bunch of activists, and they're going to support this strike in person. So they trek over there and they try to support this these strikers in very unique and interesting ways. And it's very funny. It's very entertaining. It's, you know, it's like a lot of those movies that I just mentioned. It's a little bit not campy, but a little bit, a little bit too, a little bit poppy in, in moments. Like, like it's one of those movies where, like, even though people are like down on their luck, it's still a happy movie. You know, it's like Billy Elliot. Yeah, Billy's unhappy, but it's still a happy movie. Calendar Girls. You know, they got a problem. Still a happy movie. It's like one of those. Sure. But uh, but it's it's just terrifically entertaining, and uh, it's got a bunch of laughs. What are you doing? And uh, it's got a bunch of laughs and some good performances from Mel Staunton and uh, Bill Nye, who
0: I we always love. I love Bill Nye. I really do. And I also, watched, Patty you know, Considine. I, I, I watched uh, uh, Over the Holidays, you know, because it's not appropriate for, for the baby, for my daughter. But um, not really a baby anymore. But, uh, I, you know, I, I, I kind of snuck away and I watched uh, Love Actually. And gosh, he's funny in that movie. You know,
1: that, that, no, that's the one where they spend 45 minutes getting off a plane at the end, right? It's oh, the best. No, <laughs> it's so I, good. It's terrible. Hey, uh, kids,
0: uh, don't do drugs you can become a pop star don't buy drugs you become a pop star and they give them for you for free oh. the greatest line oh. it's oh. great it's so funny oh.
1: um, from the good folks at Millennium Entertainment Way. now Millennium Entertainment as we know they are the purveyors <laughs> of fine motion picture entertainment
0: <laughs> I'll be learner now
1: Millennium oh. now here's the thing with Millennium I do know. they now, now do they do they make films or do they just buy them
0: it's a factory man it somebody somebody will come to them and say i got i got a movie with so and so and so and so attached and uh, Avi will say i you know what else can you give me if you can get me x y z a b c i can sell it to territories 1 2 3 4 5 6 and they say uh, what can you get and then it beca- it basically becomes a calculus uh, or an algebra equation you know you, you you plug in the pieces that will get you the right result and they go with it, and it doesn't really matter what the script is. It's, it's all about can you get the pieces that will justify the sales to justify the budget. Done.
1: Well, here's what happened. Somebody walked into Avi Lerner's office and said, Avi, my boy, here's what I've got. I've got a script. Don't know what it's called. Don't know what it's about. Don't even care. But I can get you Danny Aiello, Tom Berenger, Kira Sedgwick, Natasha Henstridge, Thomas Jane, uh, Tom Sizemore, Sylvester Stallone, and Danny Trejo, and Kelsey Grammer. <laughs> Will you make this movie? What? What's it called? I don't know. What's <laughs> it about? I don't know. I'll make it anyway.
0: I've got Danny Trejo and Kelsey Grammer. I got Danny Trejo and Kelsey Grammer. Well, Danny Trejo sells. He sells really well in in like Panama and, and Kelsey Grammer sells really well to Fiji. I guess that's worth about eighty thousand dollars, maybe maybe eighty two. What else you got? <laughs> oh, wait. I
1: have Thomas Jane and Kira Sedgwick. Okay. It's done. Yeah. Anyway, so this is called Reach Me. And okay. uh, it's, a, it's actually a drama, even though it's sort of um, positioned, at least the cover art, especially the back part with the, with the machine gun yeah. going off. Um, it's a bit of a drama. It's about this, this, inspir- this motivational book. And these characters read this motivational book. And they decide to change their lives in certain ways. And I won't get into the specific ways because that will ruin the surprise. But the ways aren't always violent. Some of them are very kind of inspiring, how, they, how these characters kind of take this book to heart and try to change their lives in positive ways. And so that's Reach me. Um, it's not very good because um, it's a millennium film. And millennium films are always bad. Yeah. So f- also we have from Kevin Smith, and nobody hates Kevin Smith more than I do, uh, we have Tusk. <laughs> we, which is oddly we, enough the best Kevin Smith film in a long time and, and I, I you know such what such an odd movie it's a very odd movie it's about a guy who turns into a walrus yeah and uh, as opposed
0: to Horns which you're also going to talk about in a moment that's that true weird? Tusk and Horns came out at the same time
1: love it so Kevin Smith I just feel like now that he has made just bomb after bomb and he's a, he's a bit of a punchline at this point he just decided to throw it all away and do just the weirdest film ever in the entire world it's this podcaster, he's looking for a story, and he winds up traveling to Canada, and he meets this guy, played by Michael Parks, and uh, he turns into a walrus. But you know what? It's very sty- – it's low budge, but it's stylish, and it's kind of funny, and it's completely bizarre. And I just feel like I wish Kevin Smith would make more films like this, even maybe not so unhinged from a story standpoint. Right. You know, like Red State. When he did Red State, I thought to myself, wow, he's going to make a political statement, whether I agree with it or not. At least he's going to be out there and, and giving it a shot. And Red State in the end was not very good. No. I'll take this over Red State. I, he, Tusk. I don't think,
0: Kevin, Kevin Smith needs a strong producer. I, he needs a partner. He needs a, you know, he needs a, a Zanuck or a Selznick or that, you know, a, a Sam Spiegel. He needs somebody to just basically slap him around every once in a while and to bring out his best. He doesn't have a strong producer. No. He I, needs that.
1: And you know what? And here's the thing. There was some, when, when he made a Zack and Mary make a porno, that movie was not bad. That was almost a real it's movie. It's not terrible. It's almost he, a
0: real movie. Almost is. You're right. You know, almost. and I
1: thought, wow, he's actually, yeah. he might be growing up just a little bit.
0: Tiny bit. Well, I, and, I still think, you know, Amy is, is, a, is, a, is a really good movie. Yeah, totally. Until the end. When it just goes guy? off the rails. Yeah, but but where, where's that guy? Hey, you need a producer. Uh, Wade Horns, Wade. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Here's the thing: guy who turns into a walrus, and then a guy who grows horns.
1: What? You know, well, Come it's, on. It's, it's it's what's it's Alexander Aha, whatever the yeah. uh, horror director. But it's funny because like you get Daniel Radcliffe, right? All the money, more he's richer than God.
0: It's unbelievable. He Worth hundreds get... of million, hundreds. Of, he is richer than than like Robert De Niro and Robert Redford combined. <laughs> you know what I mean? Isn't that insane? And he can Isn't that get crazy. He
1: can get any movie he wants. He can attach himself to any script, right? And He can, and,
0: but, make, he can finance the movie. He could, finance, he could write a check. He could write a check and make an <laughs> Avengers movie. He could.
1: <laughs> no, what I'm saying is that he could write a check and make a, make a movie that will move people and touch people. Let's say he makes horns.
0: He could finance Titanic. He could make like Titanic two.
1: And that's why, it by comes, the way, it comes
0: back up and sinks all over again. He could do it if he wanted.
1: And that's why, by the way, thank goodness Jennifer Aniston did not get nominated for an Oscar because you know what? Just because she decides to show up for a movie for the first time in twelve years doesn't mean mean she needs to be rewarded.
0: You know. You know it, she
1: has all the money in the world. have you, she seen, can,
0: have you seen the film? Uh, yes. You did. You saw yeah. Cake. It's not great. Okay, I'm watching it tonight. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, the screener. They didn't send me a screener. Did they send you a screener? No. Yeah, well, they they sent me, like, two days ago. I had to beg for it, because they only sent out guild screeners. They did the opposite of Selma. They solicited the guilds, and they didn't solicit the critics. But I got to talk about it on Friday, on uh, on Film Week, so... Uh,
1: Anyway, Horn's not very good. Okay, um... Should we talk about this now, or are you talking about you know what? what you're
0: talking uh, about? You know, let, let me blow let me through a few here real quickly. Uh, Liam Neeson uh, did a walk among the tombstones uh, back in the holidays and, and got a little bit of attention, but everybody said, ah, it's just like a dry run for the next Taken film. He's just kind of keeping his – he's just honing his skills. He's keeping himself sharp, letting people know what's coming. This is way better than Taken 3. Taken 3 is like a horrible, horrible, dreadful a, a, abomination. And A Walk Among the Tombstones isn't bad. Uh, it's uh, it, Basically, it's you know, the same kind of thing he's been doing lately. He, Liam Neeson's late-night late conversion into a, an ace action star. He's kind of a rogue P.I. who helps uh, this guy who's a heroin trafficker, again Dan Stevens from Downton Abbey trying to be a tough dude. Uh, which he shouldn't do And uh, th- these guys have killed his wife So he's going to try to help the heroin trafficker Track down the guys who killed his wife And everything gets all dark and hazy and so forth This is the kind of movie that Nicolas Cage probably would have done You know, 15 years ago And made a hash out of it Liam Neeson makes it uh, really r- gritty and good and solid And uh, it's not great It's based on a series of novels But it works uh, It's a Blu-ray and DVD combo And then uh, we got a couple of horror films here With similar titles I will separate these for you Annabelle is a quasi prequel to the conjuring uh that creepy doll that kind of freaky looking doll thing from the conjuring. this is all about the doll and uh, how the doll got to be so creepy and uh it's scary it's not uh it's not the conjuring, but it's scary it's good for you know anything with dolls, why are dolls so creepy dolls and clowns
1: talking Tina
0: oh my gosh, dolls and clowns they''re they're they're, they're, the, they're the worst anything with makeup it's just horrific and you know what my mother-in-law this, my mother-in-law gave my daughter her granddaughter a, a doll that looks a little bit too much like this and uh, it, it sits in the closet we don't we don't open the closet it terrifies us it does it's like it's really creepy and every once in a while on a certain night the door to the closet is
1: open does, does it open with a creak yes
0: it's the worst thing ever and then uh, not to be confused with Annabelle is Jezebel which is one of the worst films of the year. Uh, they try to plug it by saying, from the producer of *The Insidious and The Purge, as if that's a real selling point. Um, y- you know, this thing should be scarier than it is. It's not. Uh, it's uh, directed by a guy who was an editor and then a director on a lot of the Saw films, so it's, he's bringing a lot of the same shock techniques from the Saw films. But it, essentially, it's about a woman who um, survives the accident that kills her fiancé and then moves back in with her dad in the bayou. She's in a, she's in a wheelchair and there, there's, there's this whole kind of voodoo angle, and her mom died, and she finds videotapes of her mom, and she starts kind of piecing together the history of her birth and her origins, and, and you're wondering, why are all these Bayou voodoo people doing things? What's going on? And eventually, there's all the, you know, the obligatory revelations and so forth, and then the thing ends with the usual you know, ironic twists, and you're supposed to go, ooh. But it's, it's not, it's, I mean, it's competent, but it's not great. Uh, the identical is why, why, I, you know this. I didn't see this when this came out, and I heard everybody say that this was just uh, hysterically horrible. And uh, in fact, it really is. This is uh, this is the faith based crowd, the guys who make those you know a lot. Of, I mean, there's a lot of different teams that this Is it. Kirk Cameron in it? No. This is the, this is one of those teams that have done a lot of faith based movies, trying to go a list on us. So you know, we're going to get Ashley Judd. We're going to get Ray Liotta. That's pretty a list, right? Right there. Yeah, this is
1: 1994.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, anyway, this is the story of, you know, Elvis Presley was a twin. You know this, right? I did not. You didn't know that? I Elvis, did not know that. Elvis Presley was a twin, but the twin brother died, like, in the womb or something like that. Like, there was never, they were never born together. they killed him. In the womb, right? Uh, anyway, there, Elvis was originally one of it, so he was a twin. There was another one. And this is like, what if the that's not true. What if the twin actually was, like they were separated at birth, and the twin was adopted and grew up to become an Elvis impersonator? And then there's like a whole faith angle to this. It's just hilariously stupid. It's, uh, it's unbelievable to me that somebody actually cooked this story up.
1: Well, actually what would really happen is that the twin would grow up to be uh, Elvis's business manager and then embezzle all the money.
0: Yeah, anyway. And then Elsa and Fred uh, is a uh, remake of the uh, Italian film of the same name, Uh, with Christopher Plummer and Shirley MacLaine playing the lead parts of uh, an elderly couple who, uh, despite the objections of their children as they are moved into a rest home, they uh, wind up connecting and liberating each other, and he brings her down to earth, and she makes him fly, and yada, 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 on and so forth. Uh, You know, The original film is kind of sweet and charming, not great. This one is just kind of annoying, because Shirley MacLaine just does not know how to... She plays it at like... She turns it up to 11 now, every performance.
1: Yeah, she's, she's become like this Hallmark Hall of Fame actress for some yeah. reason.
0: And then lastly, the very unfortunate Men, Women, and Children uh, from uh, Jason Reitman, which he's now had two bombs in a row. And I think it's too bad because I think this is a really good film. Uh, but it just it did not connect with people. Uh, a lot of people thought this was just too kind of moralistically... Like a kind of an overbearing moralistic attack on the internet and social networking. It's basically about all these, you know, these several different families that are all kind of struggling with the way that the internet and social networking affects their children. And I, I just feel like I'm being scolded for two hours. I, you know what? But I, as a parent, I got it. I totally got it. I connected with it. I'm like, this movie is important. And I thought it was well acted and well written and well conceived. And But yes, it, it was a little too heavy handed for most audiences. But I still think it's a good film. So uh, it has a few extra special features on the Blu-ray. And uh, not a whole lot. But it's uh, I, I think it's, worth, it's at least worth a rental. And uh, it's got a deleted storyline among the extras, which I kind of wish had been included in the film. So would have made it kind of a richer experience but still I, you know, I, I really admire the film and I think it's, uh, it's too bad it, it got dismissed as it did I'm hoping it, ca- it catches on now gets a second life it becomes a cold
1: classic yeah let's hope so the showgirls of uh, social media inspired films yeah why not
0: <laughs> uh, should we talk about this yeah go ahead that's, okay, that's an important film now. you read, the book. I you did read very, the book you have a very different opinion of it than I do.
1: <laughs> well, you know what it, I did read Gone Girl, and uh, I liked it fine. It was basically it was an airport novel with some very interesting insights into the inner workings of a marriage and that constant battling for supremacy or who's on top who's you know who's in command and control of the relationship and all the little power struggles. And I like that stuff all couched in this, you know, airport novel thriller kind of a conceit. And the movie is very uh, faithful to the book. I had heard that they had changed the ending. And uh, they did not change the ending. The ending is extremely uh, faithful to the book. And um, so it's good. Uh, the movie, I have to say, I feel like the movie was a little bit beneath. Um, was a little bit beneath David Fincher, a little beneath okay. him.
0: It, 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 because I, at the
1: end, I, while I'm watching the movie. I'm thinking to myself, "Is is this all there is? I mean, yeah. is this it? I mean, Zodiac plumbs the depths of obsession.
0: Yeah,
1: this is like it's. And and, and another thing that bothered me, uh, other than the "Is this all there is?" situation, is that I felt like Fincher. Was a little more motivated by the procedural aspects of it than the emotional aspects of it.
0: I like the. I saw this at the, around the same time as I saw Men, Women, and Children, and I thought that both of them were very scathing looks at the media culture. I think this is a media satire, and uh, I I didn't realize it till halfway through when the film turns the tables on you. I mean, it really throws you a left hook. It's very vertigo like. It's intentionally vertigo like, but it goes from being a very serious film, a kind of a whodunit, and then it turns into a thriller it's a little cheeky and and very satirical I mean it really starts kind of overreaching and I thought in a, in a conscious way that's a difficult thing to do in a film and I think people didn't fully appreciate what Fincher was doing uh, he, was, he was walking a line taking material that was like you say it might seem to be beneath him but I think he elevated the material because frankly have you read The Shining have you ever read Jaws you read The Godfather those are all r- not great none of them They're, I mean Jaws is a terrible novel The Godfather is a dreadful novel and The Shining is like s- typical stereoty- Stephen King. But all three of those movies elevate that material. They turn it into something else. They see something in it that is better cinematically than what it was originally in book form. And I think, I, think, I mean, not having read the book, but it seems to me that Fincher was going for something similar here.
1: Well, uh, the uh, Blu-ray is beautifully put together, I have to say. and Nice uh, packaging, right? Nice, beautiful packaging. Yeah. And it comes with a uh, Fincher um, uh, commentary. Can't beat that. I mean, he does, uh, you know, he's not, uh, it's, it's not quite like having a Bob Zemeckis and Kurt Russell do really the used cars commentary, but uh, he does tell you a lot about what he was thinking. Um, so, uh, is the movie worth watching? Absolutely. You know what? With your girlfriend or your wife or your boyfriend or your husband or whatever, you check this thing out. You'll be talking about it after it's done. There's a lot going on. It's beautifully shot. It's very fincheresque in terms of its color palette and, and the music, you know, same, by the same guys who did a bunch of his yep. other films. Yep. I, I just think in the end, I, I it it just felt like uh, it. I looked at it and I said I didn't really learn much about. Mm. I, I it didn't resonate with me. Of course, I've never been married, so what do I know? It didn't resonate with me as a as a, yes.
0: Your your phone is making funny noises.
1: Well, because I I forgot to okay I'll turn it off fine. <laughs> I forgot to take my glass. I need my glasses, and I forgot to take my glasses from my car. So I, while you were droning on about something – actually, this is not, I'm not making this up. While you were droning on about something, Jade, I downloaded
0: – No, I downloaded
1: oh. a magnifying glass app.
0: Oh, that's sweet.
1: <laughs> and I've been using it to, to read something. Some there of these press releases that we get. Okay. Uh, but I, I won't – I will put it down.
0: <laughs> that's okay. Now, if you like,
1: I can go get my glasses, but you, you've got to vamp for about uh, that's 90 fine. seconds while I get my glasses. Well, oh, I'll vamp
0: for more than 90 seconds. I've got plenty to do here.
1: <laughs> okay. I'll go, let's wrap up, Buggone uh, girl. So, yes. uh, ben, by the way, Ben Affleck, very good. Rosemond Pike, perfect casting. S- f- perfect casting. So deserves that Oscar you know nomination. I'm y- y- so glad she got it. Uh, so much. Because you know what? You look at her, and she's so beautiful, but yet with just – the little microscopic tweak of her of her lips or her eyes, she mm-hmm. looks like a totally different psychopath. It's true. Looks beautiful, but then Great. with the tiniest little switch, so she's good. a psychopath and is beautiful. And you know what? The casting of that was gonna be, it was, it was crucial. Yeah. People wonder who's going to play the, who's going to play the wife.
0: Yeah. I and they
1: they, they they she was perfect. Yep. Great. And he was really good too. He, career best. Career totally best performance. Ben
0: Affleck. Totally agree. Now, by
1: the way, it, it, it's now it's a low bar, but I'm just saying no, <laughs> career best performance in Ben Affleck. Yeah. Beautiful transfer. Uh,
0: Go get your digital glasses. Digital HD. Yes. Go get your glasses, uh, okay. and I am going to talk about uh, as long as we're talking about uh, you know uh, parts for black actors. <laughs> I'm going to talk about uh, Get On Up and Middle of Nowhere, uh, Avery DuVernay's uh, last film, which is finally out on DVD. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to I'm going to cover this. Get your glasses, and I'll I'll hold the fort now. So, while Mark is, uh, is going to get him, let's, uh, let's first talk about Get On Up, which is, of course, the James Brown biopic that had gone through a number of different incarnations. At one point, uh, Eddie Murphy was even attached to this thing. Um, you know what? Here's the thing. Tate Taylor directed this. Tate Taylor previously did, uh, the Help three years ago, and uh, he's becoming known now, uh, not necessarily in a, a positive sense, as the white guy who gets the call to direct films about uh, uh, black subject matter and black icons, um, but I will say he does it particularly well. Get On Up is not a great biopic, this is not, this is not even on the level of Ray, but there are some very interesting things in it. Chadwick Boseman, uh, who was previously uh, very, very good as Jackie Robinson does an unbelievable job here playing James Brown. I mean, it is incredible. It is not just a James Brown impersonation, which a lot of people have done. You get the dance down and you get the how and the voice and the whole thing. Uh, that's, that's always what's kind of constituted the James Brown impersonation before. But he gets the craziness right. He gets the crazy, the obsession, the workaholic, um, the guy who is incredibly conflicted based on his upbringing – and who's ambitious but who's a little bit unhinged. It, he, he gets all the nuances of the crazy and it's really, really good um, in that regard. Where it's weak is in uh, the, it, it, trying to give you an insight into him. You're not, you don't really get an insight into him so Bobby, Bobby Bird is your access to the emotional landscape of the film. But it is, nonetheless, I think, uh, in most regards, a solid entertainment. The music scenes alone make it worth watching. Chadwick Boseman, he's so entertaining to watch. It makes you want to just go and do like I did and look up a bunch of old James Brown videos. Um, And it's got some alternate and deleted scenes, uh, full song performances, which is great fun. I'm so glad they put that on there. And uh, even some extended performances. It's really, really fun. Really good. Get on up. Uh, I liked it even though it's not a great film the music makes it worth watching Ava DuVernay's last film which is essentially a movie that got her the call to do Selma is Middle of Nowhere a low budget but incredibly well made movie really nuanced beautifully acted uh, and David Oyelowo it, was in this, and that's what how she wound up getting it. Lee Daniels was supposed to do Selma, but David Oyelowo, of course, having already been cast as Martin Luther King, said uh, at a certain point when they lost Lee Daniels, he says, I, Ava can do this. She's an amazing director. Brought her on, and, I mean, a huge upgrade. I mean, this movie was, what, what do you think, a million and a half, a million? Oh, yeah. And then suddenly she's handed a $20 million budget, but 30 days.
1: It, all right, but very low budgety that she's got 30 days I, it, to do it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, but to stretch a dollar... This way versus stretching a dollar the other way, you know, you, you, you have to up your game. You really have to up your game. And she just did it so beautifully. Uh, so anyway, this is a really, really good movie. I mean, Middle of Nowhere was, it was kind of high last year in our, in our voting. I mean, it was kind of on yeah, the bubble it got in a some lot love. of things. It got some love. Um, but yeah, it's just, as, as just a dramatic character piece, it is, uh, it's fantastic. And it won Best Director at the uh, 2012 Sundance Film Festival. And uh, it's basically, uh, you know, a woman caught between two men, and it just, but it just, it just hits on every emotional level. It's just so beautiful.
1: I'm really curious to see what Ava does next, because you know, you're not going to give her Jurassic Park six.
0: No. And but
1: uh, what are you going What's she going to go for?
0: I'm. I, I my guess is she probably has a laundry list of passion projects that she would love to do. And I don't think she's going to take an assignment. That's just not her style. You know, it's just not what she does. She's not the kind of person that says, "All right, I've made it. I'm Wolfgang Peterson. I just made Dust Boat. You know, hand me, uh, you know, some big bloated uh, tent pole or something." It, 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 this is what the studios love. They love it when somebody gets excels at a passion project or, or some little indie, and then it's like, "Okay, now we're going to use you. We're going to capitalize on your name, and we're going to hand you something that we've spent the last five years developing." I don't think she's going to do that. I think she has her own projects, and I think she's going to use her capital now, which may be greater because she's not been nominated, because everyone is feeling guilty now about it. I think she's got more cachet. This may work out in her, in her favor. I think she's going to get to do what she wants. So that's what I'm interested to see. And then lastly, on my little stack here, The Maze Runner. Uh, the Maze Runner is, you know, of course, another attempt at taking a young adult novel uh, that has it's kind of a franchise following and doing the uh, the you know the the Hunger Games deal on it or uh, the the Divergent deal, and it ain't gonna work. I, I mean, it's it it just isn't that. Um, the idea is, you know, people trapped in a giant maze, which has been done to death in uh, in science fiction and even young adult fiction, and it it doesn't really bring anything new to the table. Um, I don't know, it's, it's competent, but it's not that interesting. It has a documentary and a visual effects reel and storyboards and gag reel and all kinds of stuff that's trying to try to make this feel a little bit more accessible. It's, it's okay. I guess if you like the other movies, you'll enjoy this, but it's not up to, it's not up to snuff with Divergent or, uh, or The Hunger Games. Blu-ray, DVD, uh, combo set with the, with the ultraviolet as well.
1: Uh, Wade, uh, you just talked about um, James Brown. Now let's talk about uh, Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, Jimmy always by my side. Now, what's interesting about this film is that uh, it really is the first film to just put Jimmy top and center. Yep. Right. Yeah. The guy is just—he is uh, played by Andre Benjamin, uh, who does a terrific job. Um, he looks like Jimmy. He's got Jimmy's moves. Uh, the costuming, obviously, there's—you know—Jimmy had a lot of flamboyant costuming going on, especially when he was living in London. Um,
0: this is another film that you would have expected to get some love because it's written and directed by someone who won an Oscar last year for writing the best picture Oscar Af- last year African American yes
1: you know but again the Academy's racist so they're not going to give it to John Ridley because they're racist
0: but he also he, you know, John, John Ridley's very uneven I mean he, he really I, you know to. what is
1: that whole 12 years of slave thing was weird because yeah. he had written nothing even remotely that Interesting or good or whatever,
0: but you you know it was like Steve McQueen rewrote it with him. That's right. There was a contractual obligation. Same thing with Selma. Same thing with Selma. That's right. Yeah, Ava rewrote the hell out of that script. I mean, she's been
1: very diplomatic about uh, about Paul Webb's contribution to that movie. Well, from script standpoint, I
0: found that out, and I've I've stopped giving Paul Webb all the credit for the script because I now I've read his version of the script, and it's even though his was a blacklist script in two thousand seven, it is not what they filmed. It's not what they filmed. It could
1: still be a good script.
0: It, no, it is. It's still it's still a good script, but it's not as good as what they have now. I, it, I would I would dare say Ava rewrote sixty five seventy percent of it. Damn. Well, yep. why, why why was there why was there no arbitration on that? Because neither of them are WGA members. Oh, that's why. Interesting. Yep. There you go.
1: Um, anyway, Jimmy, all's by my side. Uh, it is. Um, you know, it's, it's fine. It's held together by Andre Benjamin's performance. I'm going to say that there is a more definitive biography to be made about Jimi Hendrix's life. Um, but in the meantime, we have Jimmy Hall's By My Side. Um, a film that I thought was absolutely, uh, completely lovely is uh, Love is Strange with John Lithgow and Alfred Molina. They play a, a gay couple living in New York. They've been together for 40 years. And when the movie starts, they uh, get married. And then soon after that, one loses his job. And so they have to sell their beloved apartment and live apart while they figure out what they're going to do. Um, and you know what? This is by Iris Sachs. Iris Sachs is um, – Meh. Meh.
0: Oh, this film? I, I'm okay on Ira Sachs movies. It's fine. It's a good well, movie. movie I mean,
1: you know, it's it's a it's a gentle, lovely film, and that's it. it has it, 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 it's its its aims are modest.
0: They, that's but it, that's, that's it. okay. It's okay. It's it. I found this
1: film to be lovely. The performances are lovely.
0: Um, it's an Iris Sachs film. If you if you've seen any of his other stuff, it's 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 the same kind of deal. <laughs> it is. It <laughs> You're is. You're so you know. dismissive. Well, no. It's it's like uh, it's like Witt Stillman. You know. You you know. You you sort of know his. You know his neighborhood. Yeah. What right? about that guy? Yeah.
1: Lame. Uh, commentary with Lithgow and Molina, which shows you how important the film was to, was yeah. to, to the lead actors. They're going to sit down and do a, a uh, yeah. commentary. There's also a Q&A um, uh, uh, recorded at the LA Film Festival, which is kind of interesting because Iris Saxes is interviewed yep. there. And uh, I like this film a lot. It's got a lot of lovely performances. It's just terrific. Uh, Love is Strange. Check that out. Uh, we also have um, a thing that I couldn't get through called The Two Faces of January – and uh, you know it, the thing with um, the thing with this is that it's a um, it's a thriller, and it's about this guy and his wife, and it's a little not Talented Mr. Ripley esque, but um, although it's based on a Patricia, a Patricia Highsmith novel, and Highsmith novels, if you read them, they are very hard to adapt to film. I thought that the um, that the Matt Damon um, Mr Ripley was pretty good this one less so it's about this charismatic guy and his wife and they befriend this young guy during a european trip the guy is played by Oscar Isaac who of course is now blowing up thanks to um, most violent Ear. and he's i think he's also in the next star wars um but uh, the movie is not that suspenseful not that gripping you know the um is directed by
0: uh,
1: Hossein Am- Amini mm mm-hmm and um I'm not wager familiar with the yeah the movie. yeah
0: I, I think I think this is a... It, it,
1: this doesn't turn the screws like you really wanted to you know i mean
0: I, it just doesn't. this is this is one of those really frustrating movies i mean, really frustrating, and the talented Mr. Ripley was a little bit frustrating in the same way for me where you you watch the movie and you sort of you know what they were going for, and you feel like they're maybe eighty five percent there. And that, with most movies, that's amazing, and you're like, that's great, and that's enough. But with this kind of a movie, 85% there is, you might as well be 10% there. You know what I mean? You, you, it, it either has to be completely what it's shooting for, or it doesn't work. And it, it sets itself a very, very high bar, and it almost achieves it, but almost is not even nearly close enough in this case.
1: Well, because, you know, this movie, like, like, like Ripley, it's all Highsmith stuff. It's... It's sort of this blend of – it's kind of Hitchcockian and
0: – the, the, Here's the thing with Highsmith. And I don't know you – know, people can go and Google Highsmith. The, the woman was out of her mind. She was. Patricia Highsmith it was insane. This is a woman who was like you know, bisexual and a Nazi sympathizer and anti-Semitic and – I mean really just completely contradictory in so many facets of her life. And um, that all – you, you get that in her writing. But when you adapt that to the, to the film, you're losing her prose. You're losing her – you're losing all of that madness from her life. It's no longer – you're one more generation removed. You're filtering it through a screenwriter and a cinematographer and a director. And you've got to replace that with something. And the only person who's ever been able to do that is Hitchcock because Hitchcock was also insane. So whatever you lose, uh, whenever, whatever you lose from the original Highsmith prose, when you move that into Strangers on a Train – Hitchcock replaces it with all of his own obsessions and weirdness, and it just it it turns it into something else.
1: It turns into a Hitchcock film. It turns into a
0: Hitchcock film, and you need that. And and I you know you you need a much stronger director for for any of that material. And so I think that's part of the problem. But anyway, we digress. We digress.
1: Uh, let's talk about uh, well, real quick. It's not very good. Uh, Two Bit Waltz is a uh, you know it's one of those tweed little Royal Tenenbaums type comedies. <laughs> yeah, that it's not much. Is really fun. annoying. um Anyway, it's about this girl. Uh, her name is Maud. She's played by uh, Clara Mamet, and uh, she's suspended from school, it's right before her eighteenth birthday. She's jumped. She's dumped by uh, her boy. Her her grandmother dies, and it's all about um, you know, you know, Maud trying to find a way to college and get along with her eccentric family. Uh, it's got a good cast. Uh, Rebecca Pidgeon's in it. Clara. Uh, put, it, put it this way: If William H Macy's in it. And David Paymer's in it. And Rebecca Pigeon's in it. Guess who Claire Mamet is related to? Uh, by the way.
0: Claire Mamet. I don't, the name doesn't ring a bell. By
1: the way, spe- speaking of David Mamet. Yeah. So get this. So uh, I was in San Francisco for Christmas. Yeah. Why? Because I had mm-hmm. nothing else to do. Okay. So I went with a, a buddy of ours. Yes. And we, uh, we had a Christmas dinner.
0: I saw the pictures. Yeah, you did? I did. There were pictures? He posted pictures. Oh, he did? Yeah. Really? Well, he posted a picture of himself across the bank. <laughs> okay. Well, that's not Christmas there. Okay. We ate
1: this place called Campton House. Yes. Very good. Okay. It was a five-course Christmas meal.
0: Five-course. Which, nice. of course,
1: we had – we can only get the reservation at the last sitting, nice. which is 9 p.m. Yes. Which means that, like, at 11.30 at night, I'm just I'm, – I'm trying sure. to stuff the, the fourth course down my gullet. Sure. I'm so tired and full. Anyway, at this restaurant, in the middle of the restaurant, Ricky J. Nice. Like, why is Ricky Jay in the middle of a San Francisco restaurant on Christmas night? It's just totally bizarre. Yeah. And I love Ricky Jay. I, I, I own two of his books. I've seen his show. I love his movies when he does Mamet and not Mamet. Just saying. But it out there. Ricky Jay.
0: Christmas Eve. First time in three years, four years, that I've gone to uh, the market on Christmas Eve to shop, and I've not seen any celebrities. <laughs> Seriously. But I saw John Goodman the other day.
1: Really? Yeah. He, uh, I thought he lives in New Orleans.
0: I, I, he was at the market.
1: What, the one down here?
0: Yeah. And I I, it, it, He didn't look good
1: Well he's lost a lot of weight He's lost
0: a lot of weight I mean he's Clo- a mammoth cl- Mammoth Clothes person. were hanging off him I mean I've, I've seen him before At screenings right You know like At the at the a the Dome There was a there was the, the, For the, uh, the The Croc Hunter movie Right That's why they had it at the dome Because it was the only place I could fit him I went there And I went into the bathroom And suddenly this hulking behemoth Of a human being Shows up in the urinal next to me And I just thought Damn dude You are a big man That's a big man In front of a very little urinal <laughs> Is anyway it.
1: Okay I don't know What we're talking about Here's what we're talking about Now What well, we're talking about uh, The East San Francisco Giants For the third time in uh, five years, they're world champions, and uh, I don't know what to make of that. You know, it's like – it's not that they're a bad team, but I just don't smell Dynasty. They won three World Series in five years, and you're like, all right, well, they were the best team in the postseason. (laughs) (laughs) What can I say? You know, the National League West is lame, and uh, it's not that hard to win the National League West, and then they just made it to the World Series. So we have two Blu-rays. We have uh, the eight-disc collection, 2014 World Series Collector's Edition Giants win – Gotta love that. All seven games from the 2014 World Series and Game 5 of the uh, Championship Series. Um, pretty cool here. Four audio options. You can watch the TV, uh, TV audio with the TV commentators. Home radio, home away, or Spanish language. And uh, a little insert that has a bunch of uh, stats. That's cool. This is if you're a Giants fan and if you are go-to-hell. No, I don't care about the Giants. I'm a Met fan. What do I care about the Giants? Uh, if you don't, can't afford that, Go for a Championship uh, 2014, narrated by Colin Hanks. This is uh, from the good folks at uh, MLB, and this is fine too, you know. But I think that if you're a Giants fan, you should definitely go for the eight eight disc banger because
0: it's good. All right, and then uh, I'm going to blow through. I'm going to mention a, a cute little indie right here that uh, came across our radar, and then I'm going to plow through uh, a whole bunch of really great stuff that just came out uh, in December and, and in the last few weeks. Criterion and uh, Warner Brothers, in particular. And then, um, but here's a little indie I want to mention. It's called Queens of the Ring, and uh, this is this has a whole. If you're if you're a WWE fan, you'll totally enjoy this. This is um, one of the first films from uh, WWE Studios that I think actually has kind of a little tongue-in-cheek charm. A lot of cameos in here from uh, from their wrestlers. Basically, it's the story of a mom who works at a supermarket whose son is obsessed with wrestling. And so to uh kind of, you know, ingratiate herself into the her teenager's obsessions, she uh she takes lessons on how to be a wrestler herself and convinces all of her co-workers or the other cashiers from the market to to join her. It's really sweet. There's there's kind of a like if Gary Marshall were to make a movie about WWE, uh this would be it. Does that make sense? <laughs> sense? It's it's cool. It's called um Queens of the Ring, and uh, it's a, it's a fun little uh, fun little charming discovery. So here's what here's what came out end of last year. The uh, first release is in the new Diamond Luxe series. That's L U X E from Warner Brothers. These are the Diamond Lux editions, which are uh, nice tight, streamlined, multi-disc packages of the following films. Uh, Natural Born Killers, the director's cut. Uh, Ben-Hur, the original, not the abortive uh, Timur-Beck crap that's going to be coming out soon. Uh, Tom Hanks in the Green Mile, 15th anniversary edition. The 30th anniversary edition of Gremlins. And uh, a wonderful anniversary edition of Forrest Gump. Uh, two discs which is uh, to me the the, the gem of all of this they all come with loads of extras the packaging is is nice and sturdy and heavy I really appreciate it Um, Natural Born Killers is a film I'm obviously not fond of Uh, it's one of the worst films I've ever seen in my life I think it's just a completely horrible abortion Uh, But if you love the director's cut, which I find unwatchable, then this is great. Lots of extras on here. Uh, Commentary with Oliver Stone and deleted scenes and introductions with Oliver Stone and a Charlie Rose interview with Oliver Stone that is deeply disturbing. Um, The Ben-Hur is fine. It's uh, it's three discs. I I am more fond of the big anniversary Ben Hur that came in the nice big huge box set with the you know the, the the Charlton Heston diaries and all that stuff. I think that's a much cooler set. But if you have limited space, this is a good one to get. Uh, it's the same transfer and uh, a lot of great uh, extras here. Commentary with uh, T. Gene Hatcher and Charlton Heston, and uh, of course you know the uh, wonderful Miklos Rosa score, screen tests, a lot of good stuff there. And then, you know, Green Mile, uh, Gremlins, and Forrest Gump are all very, very popular films. Uh, Gremlins is a movie I never cared for, but a lot of great extras here, including uh, from Gizmos to Gremlins, creating the creatures, which, you know, you don't have in CGI era. And uh, Green Mile, uh, a lot of extras. Uh, Forrest Gump uh, is still a film I know a lot of people hate. I happen to love it. I think it's terrific. Uh, Very deserved back-to-back Best Actor Oscars for Tom Hanks, uh, courtesy of this one. And uh, it's got screen tests, it's got stuff on makeup, it's just, it's really wonderful. And uh, Wendy Feinerman, one of the producers, does, the, uh, does a commentary. And then uh, Robert Zemeckis, Steve Starkey, another producer, and, uh, and Rick Carter do another commentary. Um, it's all, all great. These Diamond Lux sets are really, really cool. And uh, then lastly, we've got an Eric Romer film. Uh, before I get to these criteria, it's an Eric Romer film. This is from the Kim Stim collection. This is uh, Four Adventures of Renette and Mirabelle. Uh, from 1987, if you're an Eric Romer fan, you know exactly what this is. Um, it is certainly not for people who are not Eric Romer fans, but uh, Fabrice Lucchini is just a, one of the great French actors of the last 20, 30 years. And he here he is, much younger, but no less uh, fantastic. So um, this is a... One of the better Eric Romer films, I think, of uh, the last 20, 30 years. And then the amazing Werner Herzog movie Fitzcarraldo is out finally on Blu ray from Shout Factory. Wait,
1: now, th- th- here's the thing. Yeah. Has this thing never been out on Blu ray? Never been on Blu ray. That is bizarre. Isn't that amazing? Huh. I know.
0: There's a lot of stuff that's never been on Blu ray. I mean, it's, a cra- it's crazy when you look at the list of stuff. And So here we have Fitzcarraldo finally, thanks to Shout Factory. God bless him. Absol- you know what? That's okay. man. Okay. If shout factory, he moves, he moves a ship. He moves a freaking ship. If shout- and not only did the real guy move a ship, they they moved a ship in the movie. Yes, they like did. This is apocalypse now level madness in the jungle.
1: I wish that they had packaged. Les Blank this. made
0: a movie about this.
1: I was going to say, I wish they had yeah. packaged this with Burden of Dreams.
0: Burden of Dreams is its own movie, though. You know, it's it, that's a rights issue. But anyway, great audio commentary with uh, Werner Herzog and uh, and uh, producer um, Luki Stipecic. If I pronounce that correctly. Moderated by Norman Hill, fantastic, and uh, then another audio commentary with Werner Herzog, moderated by uh, Laurence Straub, which is a German uh, commentary. There are subtitles for it, so it's a little—it's a little tricky be- to. You know, listen and watch that commentary. But it's good nonetheless. Um, And in other words, that's it. But still, a great Blu-ray, beautiful transfer, and a fantastic movie. And here's what we got recently from Criterion. Criterion has been knocking it out of the park. Their recent announcements are just... It's like this company is the gold standard, man. They really are. They're so well-run. They do such good work. And Um, they
1: they also... uh, They went viral recently when they posted... um, Matthew McConaughey's auditions for yeah, uh, yeah.
0: Days and Confused. Yeah, pretty great. Good stuff. And and uh, we should be getting the uh, the the cartoon soon, right? The, the 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 cartoon that they do for all the New Year uh, releases.
1: Ooh, that's right. Isn't that you, have to, like, uh, you have to like you have to decide for the
0: clues. Yeah, sweet. Can't wait for that. Okay. Anyway, this is uh, Les Blank, always for pleasure, uh, from 1968 through 1995. Now, Les Blank is one of the great documentarians of all time uh, and, uh, you know, of course, did Burden of Dreams, which we just mentioned. And uh, this is a, a, an incredible three-Blu-ray thing of all of his, like, it's just his his work from the last quarter century. I mean, it's really extraordinary. And... Um, it, you know, we have very little time left, but you, you, you gotta check this out. If you're a fan of Les Blanc or a fan of, of, uh, of documentaries, this is just—it's—it's just—it's a, a wonderful trip through his head and his sensibilities and the things he finds interesting in the world. It's great. It's just—it's a—it's a wonderful tribute to a documentarian. Um, we have an Eclipse line set. We haven't had an Eclipse series in a long time, and this is Eclipse Series 41 Kinoshita and World War II, including the films Port of Flowers, A Living Magoroku, Jubilation Street Army, Mourning for the Osone family. Um, y- you know,. Uh, Kasuki Kinoshita is one of those Japanese directors that got overshadowed by a lot of the other New Wave directors uh, once you know he's, he's from the 1940s kind of the same era as Mizuguchi the Japanese New Wave came and then just kind of took all the wind out of a lot of these guys and then Kurosawa is really the only one that sort of stood the test of time internationally but these are some really interesting films all of them basically about um, just regular Japanese life and they're really good And uh, all of them made during the very, very difficult uh, World War II period. And uh, most of Kurosawa's stuff from that period, by the way, it's all propaganda. Not very good. And one of them is even lost. Can you believe that? There's a Kurosawa film that we don't have. I have it. How weird is that? I have it. And then lastly, here are the five uh, most recent uh, Criterion sets. Finally got Tootsie, many weeks late. Uh, for some reason, there was a manufacturing delay on this. But this is it's this is just freaking. I love this movie. It's the best. I mean, how great is this? They 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 basically took Some Like It Hot, a Billy Wilder movie that's nearly perfect, and and they made it like into something that's just as good, if not better. It's amazing. I mean, Larry Gelbart and Sidney Pollack just sat down and they just killed it. And this was the year of Gandhi and ET and the Verdict. I mean, this was an amazing year, 1982. Bill Murray. So, oh, Bill Murray! That is one nutty hospital. <laughs> uh, that's just my. That's. Oh. You, you know that was an ad lib. Of course it was. Uh, you get the uh, uh, Sydney Pollack commentary. Late Sidney Pollack, obviously recorded before he, he passed. Uh, interviews with Dustin Hoffman and Phil Rosenthal. Um, an interview with with Hoffman as Dorothy Michaels by Gene Shalit, which is priceless. It is priceless. Gene Shallot. Come on. Gene Shallot. That mustache. It's fantastic. Uh, you get The Making of Tootsie and A Better Man, The Making of Tootsie, two different uh, documentaries from 1982 and 2007. Everything about this is wonderful. I, I shouldn't have to sell this. Um, you also get Preston Sturges' The Palm Beach Story, which is uh, from 1942. And, uh the Criterion's coming out with a bunch of Preston
1: Sturges man. stuff.
0: Well, they've always had a lot of Preston Sturges stuff. Well,
1: I have a DVD set, not Criterion, a DVD set of Preston yes, Sturges films. True. It's great because it's yeah. all the Preston Sturges classics, you know, Sullivan's Travels, and all in one little beautiful box set. I, I'm really tempted to keep that and not get the individual Blu-rays.
0: Because uh, it's
1: a nice little Beautiful box set All there That's
0: a tough call I'm not going to help you With that one <laughs> There aren't a ton of extras Here on this But they don't need to be It's, it's a Palm Beach story it's, it's, it's hilarious It's wonderful It's Joel McRae And Claudette Colbert they're, uh, they're a married couple And their marriage Is falling apart And then everything Goes nuts in Florida It's fantastic Uh, Guy Madden, really an acquired taste. Uh, I like him. If if you are a completist for Criterion, you're going to want to get My Winnipeg, which was high in our awards voting, if I remember, too, about five years ago. Because it's cool. Andy Klein loves... I know this guy, did. yeah, well, Guy Madden, because he shoots every movie on like black and white eight millimeter stock that was that was you know from 19- dragged through the mud or something, <laughs> dragged through the mud and then plowed over by you know stampeding horses, and then he projects it with the sound out of sync, and everyone goes,
1: "Ooh, it's amazing!" No, nah, come on, there's more to it than that. There
0: is more to it. Uh, my Winnipeg, of course, you know he's from Winnipeg. Guy Madden is, and he doesn't really leave Winnipeg. He's just kind of a guy that makes movies like weird little retro movies in his in his home province of Canada, which to Canadians is like like it, but Canadians don't even know that Winnipeg is one of their provinces it's like us and you know Maine or something i don't know it's like really Delaware people come from there people live in Delaware people, people live there yeah um, but it, it really this is uh, it's very very sweet and it's you know his movies are just unusual but in my Winnipeg may be the, the most kind of emotionally affectionate of his movies he's cool yeah and then uh, The Bitter Tears of Petra von Kant uh, is another one of the Fassbinder films that Criterion keeps getting these things were released by Wellspring years ago when there still was a Wellspring and um, then they all went out of print and the DVDs were selling online for like you know $150 crazy stuff like that like Oh yeah, it's going to be out of print forever. Are you are you nuts? It, it'll be on Blu-ray eventually. Hold your horses and just wait.
1: Oh come on, how and sure enough? Okay, you know what Blu-ray I'm waiting for? Huh? The Killers and hard boiled. Hard boiled.
0: Well, the, the the killer is the killer, on Blu-ray. It is. Yeah.
1: Domestic Blu-ray.
0: Domestic Blu-ray. I'll 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 go over that with you. It's a little complicated. You and can, have it hard boiled. Uh, hard Boiled. I recommend the imports. Frankly. Can I play him? Yeah, yes. You have to you go. Uh, is it region I'll, one? It's, all, it's, it's non-region. It's okay. multi-region. But it is NTSC. But you, there's a whole ton. It gets very complicated. I'm just
1: saying they need a hard-boiled and the killer look superset
0: uh, of excitement. Drunken Master 2 has never been on DVD or on Blu-ray. What's up with that? Seriously. Give me a break so anyway uh, The Bitter Tears of Petra von Kant uh, fantastic Werner uh, uh, Werner Herzog um, fantastic Rainer Werner Fassbinder film from 1972 Uh, this is a beautiful restoration fantastic transfer so much better than the previous uh, the previous DVD Uh, Michael Ballhaus of course shot this who would later go on to do Raging Bull his son uh, Michael Ballhaus is uh, uh, now a cinematographer as well. Or, no, uh, Florian. Florian Ballhaus. Thank you. Florian Ballhaus is now a cinematographer as well. We're not a second generation, right? Like the Cronenweths. And the Cronenweths. And, and the Ballhouses. Yeah. yeah. Like, the, uh, the sons are now carrying the torch. Uh, even, even our friend Lloyd, right? Lloyd Ahern, you know? Wait, who's Lo- Lloyd's? Lloyd's dad was the cinematographer for uh, Miracle on 34th Street. Really? You didn't know that? No. Lloyd was the clapper boy on all those movies.
1: Really? Yeah. Did not know
0: that. Yeah. So anyway, uh, The Better Tears of Petrofon Kant is, is uh, one of the, probably one of the really the, the best uh, Fassbender films. It's very, um, very Douglas Sirk-like, uh, of, obviously with a little bit of a, a tweak in it. And uh, it's, you know, um, in, 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 I, I hate to call it a gay film because it's not, you know. It, it, it is about a lesbian relationship, but don't let that kind of make you think that it deserves to be ghettoized into the, the gay film Uh, thing. It's mainstream. This is Fassbender and it it really deserves to be seen by everybody. And then uh, La Cienega, the Lucretia Martel film from uh, 2001 is also absolutely outstanding. There's an interview with... uh, uh, Andres Detella about Martel on this, and that's just about all that you get. Uh, there's also a, a, you know, obviously the booklet and all that stuff. But um, Martel has, you know, was considered one of the really big new talents at that time. Hasn't really done a whole lot since that has kept her on the map. But La Cienega, nonetheless, is a is a beautiful uh, Argentine film and one of the best films from a period that saw an awful lot of really great Argentine films. And uh, they've slowed down a little bit, but Argentina still has a thriving film industry, so we should see some great stuff from there before long as well. They won an Oscar a few years ago for that thing of theirs that they did, that <laughs> procedural. That thing of theirs that they that did? kind of law and ordery thing that yeah. I, I forget about. Anyway. All right, Mark. We are, we're done. It's a good long show to come back uh, with the year. We will be back next week. Um, email us at gods at digigods.com. The Send us emails. Oscar Poole Wade. Send plug us box, the Oscar pool Vox boxes we want Vox boxes so send us your audio files don't be shy send us audio files ask us questions about any old thing we'll put you on the show we'll make you famous and email us at gods and then also go and enroll at funofficepools.com funofficepools.com go and, and, and sign up there get into the group the digigods T-H-E space DigiGods and use the password Lars Von Trier all one word all lowercase Lars Von Trier and uh, get going in the Oscar pool I am putting together what will hopefully be the swag package of all swag packages for oh, who, don't, whoever wins Don't make wins promises it. you can't keep It'll be great You'll have a whole bunch of movies with Dan Stevens playing, uh, playing Psycho Killers oh, right and Heroin right. Oh you know,
1: what? It'll be, you know what the swag package will be nothing but Millennium Films
0: It will That's exactly <laughs> what it'll be Alright We'll do good stuff We'll see you next week